And you may be seated. Well, in the first two chapters of James, James really just tried to illustrate. He sought to illustrate what true faith, what real saving faith looks like when it's lived out in the life of a believer. When he gets to chapter three, he kind of segues just a little bit, still on the subject of faith. But instead of showing what faith looks like, he begins to talk about uh, really specifically what faith sounds like when it comes out of the mouth of the believer. In the beginning of chapter three in verse one, he began with, this, with the tongue's warning. He said, let not many of you too quickly, too eagerly um, seek after a teaching position in the church because whoever does will be held to a higher standard and a stricter judgment. Last week, he continued with the tongue, the teaching of the tongue, and basically what he did was he unfolded the power of the tongue. So it went from the the tongue's warning to the tongue's power, and we saw last week, if you were here, that the tongue is immensely powerful, and where its power is seen the most is in in orchestrating, in, in driving, and impacting the lives, not only of our own lives, but the lives of other people for good and for evil, for both. Now what he's going to do in this last part of section three here on the tongue is he's going to expound on the idea of the tongue's power. He's just going to keep teaching in the same subject, but he's just going to really expound and really show us just how powerful the tongue can be. So we're going to jump right into the text. There's a lot to cover this morning. And so let me tell you this. We're going to see three truths concerning the power of the tongue this morning. Truth number one, the tongue is a destructive power. The tongue is a destructive power. Now, note, if you will, in the beginning here, he says, how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. I'm sure that at some point or another, you've been watching the news, and when you were watching the news, you saw those great forest fires that they have out in the Midwest or out in California, and you're looking at it, and it's from the perspective of a helicopter flying over, and just the devastation and destruction is almost unbelievable to see all that fire, all that smoke, everything, and we're not talking about a couple acres, we're talking about hundreds and even thousands of acres completely destroyed by this flame. And I think by seeing the magnitude of that destruction, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the whole thing was caused by a simple flame, by a simple spark. This was a realization that I came to, uh, understood this concept when I was a teenager. I was about 13 years of age. I was going to church. And, and my church, uh, the church I went to was called Christian Retreat. And it's down in Bradenton, Florida. It's right on the Manatee River. And it's a, f- a beautiful property. And uh, it's, it's a retreat center. It's a church, but it's a retreat center. So people from all over the country come to do different conferences and, and youth camps and concerts and things like that. And so there would be, you know, there's hotels on the church property. There's duplexes on the church property. And the church also owns actually an island right across the river. It's about 20 acres. It's called Missionary Island. And it was a place where if you're going to go off to be a missionary, you'd go and train there for a period of time to understand how, 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 what it's like to really rough it. And uh, I remember one day, uh, a friend of mine, David, came up to me. He was always getting into trouble. Um, 
I was a close friend, so I don't know what that means for me. But uh, we were, we, he came up to me and he goes, hey, man, he goes, you got to stay the night with me tonight. Got to stay out here. He goes, we'll take you to school tomorrow morning. But I just picked up a load, a huge load of fireworks from South Carolina on our vacation. And we're going to shoot them off tonight. You need to be here. I'm like, yeah, dude, that sounds awesome, right? Fire, kid, awesome. And so I go to my dad and I made the mistake by showing too much of my hand. Instead of just saying, hey, can I spend the night at David's? Somehow it came out, spend the night at David's and shoot out fireworks. And once fireworks came out, while it was coming out of my mouth, I knew abort, abort, too late to abort. I remember how he responded to me. Here's what he said. He goes, are you crazy? He goes, between you two, you'll end up burning the place down. And so I remember sitting there, and because I was, I was obedient outwardly, because I didn't want to get a beating, uh, and, but not inwardly, I kind of did the whole pouting thing. You know what the powder lip looks like? The whole afternoon, pouty lip. Went home, pouty lip the whole time. You know, I did just enough, kind of, you guys know how you kind of work your parents right there. There's a borderline there. You cross it spanking, you stay the other side, you're cool still, right? I was just riding that line like the whole time. I, I, I sat there and the whole day, you know, they would ask me something. I'd tell them just enough, but with, just with a sad enough voice so that he understood that I was displeased with his overreaction. Burned the whole place down, right? Went through the whole afternoon. That night, my dad, this is when you couldn't get Kate, you know, news 24 hours a day, long time ago. And so we, 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 we came and we got done eating. We went to the table, or we got done from the table, went in the living room. My dad loved to watch the evening news, right? Sits down in the evening news. I sit down to watch it with him. All of a sudden, the news comes up, and as it comes up, there's a helicopter flying over this island, missionary island, and it's completely ablaze. And I... I, I, they go, here we are from Christian Retreat, and Missionary Island is now ablaze, and it's burning down to the ground. Nothing is going to survive. Then you hear kind of the anchor ask the reporter in the, in the news, do we know what caused this? Yes, we think it was a young man shooting off fireworks that caused the blaze. And at that moment, it's one of those where I'm not going to not, I'm going to keep looking at the television out of the corner of my eye. I know my dad is peering at me. It's that I told you so, and I'm not going to give him the pleasure right? So I just keep looking at this thing. So at that point, I begin to understand, I mean, in a very clear way, that something so small can, can, can continue on and cause so much destruction. I think James' point is pretty clear. I think James, what James is getting at is this, is that one word, one careless word, one bit of slander, one small lie, one negative criticism, can spread so far and wide, wreaking devastating destruction on reputations and lives of people everywhere. One word, one lie, one bit of gossip. Now, what he's going to do from this point is he's going to unpack and show us more clearly of just how destructive it can be. And what he does is he fires at us all these little sentences. And i got to tell you, at least in the Greek, the original language, they're very difficult. Let me try to explain them as carefully as they possibly can. Here's four truths concerning that destructive power. First of all, he's going to show us here, he's going to show us the breadth of the tongue's destruction. That is the width, how, how wide this thing is, how big this thing is. Verse 6, notice what he says. He says, in the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Now, what's interesting is up to this point, he's used what we call similes. Similes are comparisons using like or as. Go back, you know, go back to your high school you know, grammar class, right? And so, so far, he said, the tongue is like a horse's bit. 
The tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Now he's completely jettisoning this simile and he's going straight to metaphor and he goes, hey, guess what? The tongue is not like or as anything. What it is, is it is a fire. So it's this huge emphasis on its destructive power. And so what he does is he then says, it is a world of unrighteousness. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, it really depends on what he means by world. And there's really two primary teachings or or understandings of world. One is just to talk about the regular physical world in which we live in. That's how the Bible often uses it. The other is rather to describe the, 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 um, is to describe the system, the world's wicked, rebellious system, if fallen and rebellious against God, okay? So it would be like this. You've, you've heard probably the statement before where somebody says, hey man, we're Christians, need to be in the world, but not of the world, right? So we're in the physical world. It's where we ought to be, but we ought not to be of the world. That is, we, not, we need not to be taking part of the sinful um, ways of the world in which we live. So how is he using it? Well, he uses it in that latter way, in the, in the second way, all the way through the book. When he talks about the world, he's talking about the sinful, wicked ways of the world. And if that's what he's specifically referring to here, what he's getting at is this. He, he's saying he's referring to the vastness and the variety of sin that the mouth is capable of committing. He says, the reason that your mouth and my mouth are so destructive to the lives of other people is because we can sin in not one way with the mouth, but in a variety of ways of the mouth. There's no end to the amount of ways that you and I can sin by what comes out of our mouth. One author said this, go through the Ten Commandments, for instance, and you will see that the tongue can be involved in the breaking of every one of them. Now, he gives us a second indication of this this destructive power. He shows us first the, the breadth of the tongue's destruction. Next, he shows the depth of the tongue's destruction. Notice the next sentence. He says, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Okay, now what's he getting at? He, well, when he uses the word members, this is the second time that he used it. He used it back in, in verse five when he said, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. When he speaks of the tongue being a small member, he's just simply saying it's one part of many parts of the body. It's small, but it's still just a part. There's, you have fingers, you have arms, you have toes, you have a tongue. It's just a part of many parts that make up the body. And what he was trying to use it in verse 5 for was to show that it's a small part, but it influences every other part. Here he's using it in the same way. What he's saying is it's a small part. It's just one of the members, but yet it saturates and it condemns and it corrupts the rest of your body by what comes out of your mouth. And Jesus was speaking on this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11. Do you remember when the sin sniffers, the religious leaders, they're watching the disciples and they didn't wash their hands ceremonially the way they should before they ate. And they came to Jesus and they said, why don't they wash their hands the way that they ought to? Don't they know that sin is entering into them is basically their problem. Because their thought was that you could become sinful by those things that are outside of you and bringing it on the inside of you. And Jesus says, no, time out. You're not sinful because of what goes inside of you. You're sinful because of what comes out of you. And specifically, he's referring to what? The speech. What it is that he's ultimately saying. So he says here, he goes, look, it's extremely destructive. One little flame corrupts the whole thing. We see the breadth of that destruction of our words. Why? Because we can sin in so many ways. We see the depth of it. It saturates our whole self with sin, all from this little thing that we call our mouth. The third thing is the depth of our tongue's destruction. 
Notice next, he says the tongue is set among, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, the length of our tongue's destruction. He says setting on fire the entire course of the life. Now, now notice that word course. In the Greek language, that word is literally translated wheel. And the reason that I believe he uses it is because for the Greeks, the picture of a wheel uh, ultimately demonstrated or symbolized the whole cycle of one's life. So if you saw a wheel, it, it really represented your life from beginning from birth until death. And if that's the way that he's using it, what, what he's saying is this. He's saying that there is no time in your life, whether young, median adult, old adult, older adult, senior adult, whatever it is, no matter where you are in the spectrum of your life, there is never a time that you cannot do tremendous damage with your mouth. Stop and think about it for a minute. Have you ever been like a playground with kids? They see, say some horrible, terrible things to each other. If you haven't been around one, go around one for a while because the things that are flying out at each other is horrendous. And you sit there and go, guys, you ought not to be saying this stuff. But I wanna let you know, adults say the same stuff. They're just a little bit smoother in saying it, right? So what he's saying is, as hurtful as that might be, for you and for me, you never reach a point in your life, whether your physical age or your spiritual maturity, that you are not susceptible from completely destroying another human being by what comes out of your mouth. That's consistent all the way through your life. And isn't that true? I know with our staff and, and with several others that I've been talking through this week, it's amazing how I can look back and I can see incredible victory in my own life in certain areas of sin. A lot of others still working on, you with me? But I can see the goodness and the grace of God and I could sit there and go, man, that stuff's not even a temptation for me anymore. All this time, I'm still struggling with the tongue. Still a temptation. I hurt people 20 years ago, 30 years ago with it. I hurt people yesterday with it. Same thing, there's never a time so there's the length of the tongue's destruction. Finally, he talks about the source of the tongue's uh, uh, destruction. Notice what he says. He says, and it is set on fire by hell. The verb tense there, when he says it is set, the verb tense there by James indicates an ongoing action. He goes, this isn't something that just happened at one time. This is something that's happening over and over and over and over again. He says, what is it? He says, he says your tongue, when you and I speak things that are wicked, that are anti-God, that are dangerous, that are destructive to other people. He says, the reason is, is because your tongue is perpetually being set on fire by hell, he says, by hell. The word hell is interesting because the Greek word is actually Gehenna. And Gehenna was actually an actual location southwest of Jerusalem. It's basically a dump where you'd go and burn all your trash. Oftentimes, people that were crucified and they didn't have anybody um, uh, um, were crucified, their bodies were thrown into this big heap and they were just burned. Jesus refers to it uh, in, Ma in Mark chapter nine and verse 48. He describes it as a, where the place where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. Some commentators are saying that what, what James is actually doing is not just talking about a place, that it's set on fire by the place of hell. Instead, what they suggest is that he's using the word hell as a synonym, as is used other places in the New Testament, as a synonym for the devil and for the demons. So it actually can be read, your mouth, when you and I are spilling wickedness and perversion and downing people and speaking evilly of other people, he says your mouth is perpetually, continuously being lit on fire by Satan and the demons. That's where it's coming from. That's the source of it. No wonder it's so destructive, right? 
If it's being set on fire by the thief who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy it, no wonder there's so much destruction that the tongue is capable of. Now, what he doesn't do here, did you notice this? He doesn't show us exactly what these sins look like. He doesn't mention any specific sin. But I think if we're careful, there's tons that we could go over, but let me just give you three. I think three of the most common sins that our tongue is guilty of. The first is this, is gossip. Gossip. Now, let me, let me, let me define this because I think sometimes we get a little bit confused on it. It could be defined this way. It's a conversation about the personal details of other people's lives, whether rumor or fact, especially said in a malicious, hurtful way. Okay? Here, let me, that's a little difficult, so let me simplify it. Another way of saying and speaking of gossip is saying something behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. You get that, right? And why wouldn't you ever say it to their face? Why wouldn't I ever say it to their face? Because usually what we're saying is condemning and hurtful. It's not building them up. It's tearing them down. It's not being encouraging. It's discouraging. It's attacking the character and the person of that person. It's basically, it's basically taking and whoever you're talking to when you're gossiping, what you're doing is you are trying to belittle the person and who you're ultimately talking about. Now, stop for a moment, because this is what I need you to do as we track through this. What I need you to do in this idea of gossip is I need you to begin to understand. I don't want you to think while you're here at church with people that you know as we're all talking Christianese to each other. I need you to picture yourself in the midst of the closest people that you know and the closest fellowships where you're most comfortable. Because it's there if you will look and you will listen to your own conversation. It's so easy for you to spout gossip amongst your family and your closest friends without you even knowing it. Without you even knowing it. Today, what we do is when it's even more public, what we do is we call it prayer requests. Yes, all right, prayer requests. I'm concerned for my brother. I'm concerned for my sister. Here's how we can know. There is a legitimate time to bring up prayer requests for other people. But when the prayer request says, this person is struggling with this and he's doing this to his wife and whatever, and you haven't yet even gone to the person to... to see, here's how you know that you truly care. Not because you tell everybody else somebody else's problem, but that when you hear the problem come from somebody's lips, you go straight to them to try to minister to them. That's the difference between helping and gossiping. Two different things. And so first is gossip. The second is flattery. Now, we don't think being flattering to somebody else is really sinful. I mean, gossip, we understand. It's saying something bad, trying to hurt somebody's you know, reputation because of what, what it is that we're ultimately saying. But flattery is really equally as dangerous. What that is, is if gossip is saying, is, is saying something behind someone's back that you wouldn't say to their face, then flattery is saying something to someone's face that you wouldn't say behind their back. In other words, you come to them and you show up, and this is interesting, a good friend of mine, when I was going over this with him, a pastor, he said, you know, this is probably uh, the most committed sin that takes place on Sunday morning at a church where people come and they say nice things to each other, to their face. So good to see you. How are you doing? I've been praying for you. And then they turn around and with that same mouth, what do they do? They dog the person. They say the evil thing. That's what flattery ultimately is. And people getting, it's, it's people greeting with each other with smiles and pleasantries only to down them the moment that they are removed from them and out of earshot. Here's the third one. And I think that this might be what we're most guilty of. I'm throwing myself in there, but I'm throwing you in there with me, all right? Here it is, criticism. Criticism. For whatever reason, some Christians think that they are the resident experts on everything at church. Uh, 
You get what I mean by that? Just the, uh, they just think they understand everything about the Bible. They think they know exactly what temperature it needs to be at the church service. They know exactly what music should be played. They know exactly how a text should be preached. They know the appropriate, they know the appropriate dress. They know everything there is to know. They know everything about raising a child. They know everything there is about a good marriage. They know everything there is about being successful with work. They know everything there is to how to ultimately manage their money. And what they do is they critique everybody else out of their expert view, right? Well, he does this because of this. Well, he really needs to do this. Well, you know, if he had any sense about him, he would, I mean, I can't believe he would go and do that. What he ought to be doing is, y'all hearing this just a little bit? Here's what's amazing about this whole thing. What's amazing to me is that you and I would think that we know anything about anything. To sit back and to think that our lives are in such a way that we can dictate and to be able to sit back and to be able to criticize somebody's life and what they do. Here's the interesting thing about, uh, about critics. Critics are very hard to criticize. Do you know why? Because they don't do anything. The only thing they do is criticize. They criticize about preaching. They criticize about music. They criticize about whatever, whatever it is in their life. They criticize people. But the truth of the matter is they cannot be criticized because they never do anything themselves. All they do is sit back and criticize. And as far as being critical, they're very, very good at it. So that's what they do. They, they, they just criticize. But I want you to stop and think. Listen to me. I want you to stop and think about how many times in your life you sit back and you criticize the life of other people. It's a wickedness. It's judgment, it's condemnation, it's a part of gossip, and it's ungodly. And the Bible says that it's a serious, serious, serious issue. Somebody says, well, Mike, what about constructive criticism? <laughs> we're, so, we're so smart. What about approaching somebody about something that they're ultimately doing wrong? Because some of you are not critics. You're, you, you just give constructive criticism. All right, so two things that need to happen with constructive criticism. The first thing that you need to have with constructive criticism is you actually have to love the person that you're trying to help and you're speaking to. Most people that give some kind of criticism only love themselves. They're trying to criticize somebody else to make them feel better. If you're going to go to somebody and you're going to say some words that are going to be good, the thing that you have to make sure that it is is that you truly love them and want the best for them. Second thing you need for, 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 for um, constructive criticism, is you actually have to go to the person you're trying to help. You can't give constructive criticism to me by telling somebody else. I can't give constructive criticism for you if I tell somebody else about what it is that you ultimately need to do. Are you tracking with me? And yet, with all of this, we sit back, and here's what's amazing. You and I, we're hearing what James is saying. We understand how destructive it is, and yet we would say in our hearts, I think you'd all agree, that there is nothing that enrages us more, angers us more than when we hear that somebody else is talking about us. Would you agree? Hey, you know, somebody said about you, what? I, what, what do you mean somebody said about me? What do you mean somebody been talking about me? All right, do you be talking about me? We need to talk. Hey, I'll get up in your face, right? You, you know, we'll, we'll, say, we'll, have a, we'll have a powwow, all right? And so, so, so what people, you, are, are you guys, is anybody with me on that? Somebody comes and says, we heard this about you, such and such is saying about whatever. And, and it's so funny. Here's the drama. Here's the drama, queens and us. Here we go. <gasps> How dare them? How dare them say something about me? Without, not to my face. Just 
Come to me. And we're so appalled. It's like literally we're acting as though there's nothing worse they could do. But in that particular moment, we really demonstrate the purity and perfection of our hypocrisy. Because every single one of us, every single day, are constantly using our mouth in a gossipy, judgmental, flattering way towards other people. We're so amazed that somebody would say something about ourselves, but it's so easy for us just in passing to throw a little barb, to throw a little criticism, and yet we do it. And we do it a lot. And here's what's really dangerous about it, is once it's out there, you can't do anything about it. A woman was really struggling with her tongue, and she came to her pastor, and she just said, hey, look, I, I don't know what to do. I've I've talked about all of these people in, in horrible ways, and, and I need to be able to make it right. He goes, here's what we're going to do. He handed her a pillow full of, uh, of, of, uh, of goose feathers. And he goes, what I want you to do is I want you to take this pillowcase, and I want you to go and take one goose feather, and I want you to place it at the doorstep of everybody in town that you've talked about. If you talked about them more than once, then put more than one feather. So she went around. Next thing, she came back. There was no more feathers inside the pillowcase. And she sat there and she goes, I did exactly what you said. No more feathers in there. I'm done. But for whatever reason, I'm not feeling better about myself. He goes, because you've only done half the job. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to pick up every single one of those feathers. Well, when he asked her to do it, there was quite a breeze and a wind that was blowing that day. She came back with an empty bag. And here's what she said to him. She said to him, she goes, it's no good. They were so easy to put down but I can't find even one. I can't even take one back. The pastor said, precisely, said the pastor. He says, in just the same way, it was easy to scatter your words of criticism and rumor, but now that they are gone, they are impossible to get back. I have known more men and more women who have been literally their whole lives altered because of gossip towards them. I've known pastors who are no longer in the ministry today because somebody said something about them. Even later, the person coming back, admitting that what they said was a total lie, but they could not recover from the damage that was done simply from one spark, destroyed the whole life of a man and his family. That's the destruction. Now, we're gonna whip through these last two points, and I hope that at the end, we're gonna get some help. But the second thing, it's gonna get bad, worse, before it gets better. First thing that he says is we see that it's a, it's a destructive power. Secondly, we see that it's an uncontrolled power. So you think destructive is bad enough. Now what happens when you have an uncontrolled, dangerous tongue? Here it is. James says in verse 7, it says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Is that true? It is true. And it's interesting because the wording here is very similar to that what we find over in Genesis chapter 1. I think it's in verse 26, 27, somewhere around there, where he says in the beginning, he says, let us give dominion, get man dominion over all the earth, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the beast of the field. You got that? He says, so they're going to have dominion over that. They're, they're going to be able to control. They're going to be able to tame all those things. Even after the fall, even after the fall in Noah, right before he destroys the world, he still shows that he has dominion over the animals, doesn't he? He's taking them onto the ark themselves. All right, so he has dominion. And we see that, look, we see that around us as well, right? We, we, we see, I have seen uh, the Kodiak bear, all right, the grizzly bear from Kodiak, the largest land a predator in the world wearing a tutu doing a jig, right? I mean, 
in the wild, they rip your face off, all right? In a circus, they dance. Uh, I don't, how, how do they do that, yes? You, you, we've seen lions, all right? The king of the jungle of Africa, what is he doing? He's jumping through hoops that are set on fire. We, 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 you can go down to SeaWorld and see a 20-ton orca killer whale pushing people, not because they're killing them, but because they're playing with them and shoot them up in the air some 20 or 30 feet. That's some pretty amazing dominion. And whatever it is that we can't control, or whatever it is that we can't tame, we have been able to be able to control, right? We've been able to take some of the most wild animals, dangerous animals, and put them into captivity and and be able to retain them, control them. He says, that's true for that. He says, but realize something, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, this is so true. Because I have known people through the course of 20 years of ministry, maybe some who are even here now, who have really fought some of the greatest temptations imaginable. Some of the sins and some of the pulls. I've, I've known people who were steeped into alcoholism, steeped into drug addiction, steeped into pornography, steeped into to, to, to gambling and all of these things. And I know they're just kind of big things, but they are hard to get over. I mean, they were driven and people are bent and people are captive to these things. And I have seen people overcome them. And what used to be a temptation for them, again, is no temptation at all. But again, and I said it earlier, however, There has not been one person ever in the history of mankind to be able to sit there and go, I can control fully and completely my time. He says, you can't. See, this is where the sermon gets really depressing really quick. Because we sit back and all of a sudden, if if, if you're like me, and you might not be, but you don't even have to admit it. But if you're kind of like me, where you're reading the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is illuminating your mind. What he's doing is he's drawing attention to all the places that your mouth has caused great destruction. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, the natural response to the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit is for it to step back, to have a repentive heart, say, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to do that anymore. And the very next news that James gives us, it says, no man can tame it. It is a deadly, wicked serpent, and nobody has the power to tame it or even to be able to control it. Bad news. It's a, it's a destructive power. It's an uncontrolled power. Now notice this, number three, it's a scandalous power. Notice in verse nine, he says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. It's, it's amazing to me because some things just never change. Here's James, a pastor of First Baptist Church, uh, Jerusalem. The people have been scattered. They're now a part of all these different churches through Asia Minor and different areas. And he hears back that one of the biggest problems that people are having is that they worship God together and the moment that they leave, they begin to talk about each other. Here's how it probably would have gone down. It was, it, was, it was normal for them in the first century that whenever somebody would read the name of God, the whole congregation would respond by saying, blessed be he, blessed be he, blessed be he. God's name would come up, blessed be he. Somebody would mention the name of God, blessed be he. Everybody worshiping God with their tongues. They step outside, and before they could get to the camel, donkey, whatever, guess what happens? With the same mouth they begin to worship, they begin to criticize. This is kind of how it works here. You don't even get to the car. Did you see who was here this morning? 
Yeah, I saw who was here. I, I can't believe they were here. Hey, did you see who is not here? Did you see her sitting by herself? I wonder where the husband. Hey, did you, did you see that child and what was happening to them? What, what's wrong with those parents not being able to control? Look, you fill in the blank. There's a million things that can be said. And here's what he ultimately said. This is what James is trying to say. James comes back and says, man, it ought not to be this way. And here's why it ought not to be this way. Because the, because the commands that Jesus gave, somebody asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is just like it, to do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so here's why he says it ought not to be. Because the way that we demonstrate that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is by showing each other neighbor love. By loving each other, we show that we love God above all things. If we are praising God with our lips and yet cursing each other with our words, guess what? There's no love for God. There's no true love for God. John later ends up saying that. If you, if you hate your brother, how can the love of God be in you, he says. And he goes on in verse 11, he says this, he says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a, grape, uh, a grapevine produce figs? The answer to all of these th- three things are what? No. He says, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, James' whole point here is not to suggest that a Christian is incapable of saying hurtful things with his mouth. We've already demonstrated that that's a possibility, yes? Everybody does it. Now, that's not everybody does it, so it's no big deal. No, it's a huge deal for all of us. And But what he says is here, he says, the fact that we, we can do those things, the point, rather, is that whatever comes out of the mouth reveals what is on the inside. It reveals the condition of the heart. So after he says that you can't control it, then he says that the condition of the heart, what is he trying to do here? He's trying to drive us to the one that can't help us. See, here, here's what I want you to understand. If you came this morning, and some of you have come this morning, and you, you still don't get it, and I love you dearly, so I'm just going to keep preaching this. You're coming here because you want to hear some practical things that are just going to help you to act better, to live better, to speak better, to be a better husband. It's not wrong to want to be better. But when you're coming, you're not just trying to change your behavior. You're not just trying to learn little truths that you can practice at home, list them down, and then just kind of tame yourself. Guess what? He says, with the tongue, it's never going to work. This is, not, this is not a self-help clinic. This is a God-help clinic. When we come, and especially in the area of the tongue, the only thing we can do is say, God, I can't tame this thing. I can't. Here's what's so frustrating. You leave this place, and you're like, dude, I can't, I can't talk like this again. Guess what you'll do within the day? Talk like that again. And then here's what's so frustrating. It's not because you get mad at yourself just because you blew it, because you're not really, really showing great self-discipline. What's really depressing about the whole thing is that not only did you blow it, but it demonstrated wickedness in your heart. We've got to come to a point that when we say the things that we say, that we take responsibility for it. And we don't begin to blame other people. Hey, I'm tired. Hey, it's been a long day. Does this sound familiar? Hey, it's been hard. People just tick me off. That's why I'm saying negative things. No, I'm saying negative things and I'm saying hurtful things because my heart is a cesspool of sin and it has to have a way to be able to come out and where it's gonna come out is out of my mouth. So what do we do? A couple things. 
Back to Isaiah, just very quickly. I actually mentioned Isaiah at the, at the get-go two weeks ago when we started this little section on the time. This is what Isaiah does. Three things I think we need to do at approach. This is what we're doing, but it's not what we're doing. It's what we're doing in our dependence upon God. Okay, you got that? It's not about doing better. It's about trusting God more. Here's what we have to do. First of all, recognize your sin. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, when Isaiah was exposed to her sin, and I believe, and I have to believe through the preaching of the word of God, you're, you're convicted as well. Anybody convicted this morning? Anybody convicted? Here's what we do. Here's what we say. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. What we first need to do is we need to admit. We need to admit that, we have, that we're sinners, that we are using our mouth in a way that is vastly destructive and more destructive than we could ever imagine. We lay it out there, but we're hurting and harming other people. Second thing, seek forgiveness for your sin. Recognize it, admit it. Second, seek forgiveness of your sin. Isaiah 6, 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar, from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. How are sins atoned for? Not by a hot coal from an altar not by searing our lips, but rather through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What we do is the reason that we can be forgiven is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And you say, well, what am I, why are you even saying that? That's for people who just get saved. When you get saved, that's what you place your faith in. Oh, my friend. That's what you as a believer put your faith in each and every single day as you walk through this life. Your faith every day is remembering what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and you understanding that through that you have continued repentance and deliverance and forgiveness through him. Seek that forgiveness. And number three, discipline your mouth for the glory of God. Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. God wants to redeem our words and redeem our mouths. He wants to use what the devil wants to use for evil. He wants to use for, for what is good. So let me, let, me, let me just tell you two more. All of this is dependent on God. All of this is going to God and going, God, change my heart. Until you change my heart, I can't change my speech. Y'all with me? Complete dependence on God. Here are two practical things you can do along with this. Number one, go to your friends and your family and go, guys, keep me accountable. Every time I begin to go down and begin to use my mouth in a destructive way, I want you to call me on it. Be bold. Be bold. That, that will help. Be bold. Here's the second thing, and I think this would shut down all gossip and all bad talk. Here it is. Don't listen to it. I, I am always amazed by people in church that have so much to say because they've heard so much about what everybody else is thinking and saying. Always, always makes me nervous. Here's why. The only reason you know so much junk is because you receive so much junk. There's a reason why the landfill is the landfill. They're willing to receive garbage. And if people feel so comfortable to you all the time to be able to come and spill their guts and talk about other people, it's because you're the dump. You're where the garbage goes. Here's a great thing to be able to do. Have other people keep you accountable. And then sit there and you keep accountable at the moment that somebody begins to say something. Encourage them to go to the person they have a problem with or just walk away, one of the two. But guys, bottom line is, those are great little steps. But today, the dependence is upon God and God alone. And we pray for that dependence.
I'm going to ask you to stand and close your eyes and bow your heads. Ashley's going to